Pushkin. When Run DMC's Sucker MC started spinning on small radio stations around New York City in 1983, believe it or not, this was new school. The cutting edge. Two years ago, a friend of mine asked me to say some MC rhyme. So I said this rhyme I'm about to say. The rhyme was there, but then it went this way. Sucker MC's was the B-side to Run DMC's first single, It's Like That. These songs completely changed the sound of hip-hop in the early 80s. Their sparse, bass-heavy beats and aggressive rhymes represented the real hip-hop heard live at block parties and clubs in the Bronx and Queens. It was a huge leap forward from the first-ever hip-hop releases from groups like the Sugar Hill Gang and Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, who were putting out polished R&B-influenced records. Joseph Run Simmons, Jason Jammaster J. Mizell, and our guest today, Daryl DMC McDaniels, came together in 1983 not long before the release of those first two songs. As Run DMC, they helped define the look and sound of hip-hop in the 80s worldwide. They're true pioneers who've had no shortage of firsts in their career, including the first-ever hip-hop group to go gold, then platinum, then multi-platinum. They were also the first rappers on MTV and on the cover of Rolling Stone. Rick Rubin and DMC have been friends since the early days of Run DMC, when Rick founded Def Jam Records with Run's older brother and produced two of the group's classic albums, and of course their collaboration with Aerosmith, Walk This Way. In this candid conversation between old friends, you'll hear how DMC and Run formed the group, and also how despite a career full of accolades, DMC struggled for years with suicidal thoughts. The only thing that kept him alive during his darkest days was a song he heard on Light FM. Brace yourself for a wild story about Sarah McLachlan's song, Angel. You'll never hear the song the same again. This is Broken Record, liner notes for the digital age. I'm Justin Richmond. Here's Rick Rubin and Daryl DMC McDaniels. Thank you so much for doing this, first of all. Thank you for having me. The, la- the last time we talked, you told me an incredible story. Mm-hmm. Um, that blew my mind and, um, it's been long enough now where I don't remember all of the details, but I remember I left feeling different than I felt like what you said changed me just hearing the story. Really? Yeah. So maybe you can tell me the story again. Um, well, is it, is it the Sarah McLachlan story? Yeah. About, um, how her record saved my life? Yes. Um, but tell me from the beginning, like how, how? oh, in the beginning, um, nineteen ninety three, yeah, down with the king, yes, which was produced by Pete Rock, one of the greatest producers, yes, ever. That record, Pete hates when I say this. Down with the king did for Run DMC what Walk This Way people say did for Aerosmith. It put us back. I see. Prior to that, we were respected. Yes. Praised yes. pioneers, legends. Yes. But hip hop had changed. Yes. Nobody cared. We're not on the radio. We're not on MTV no more. We had love, but we wasn't participating anymore. Mm-hmm. So uh, Pete Rock produces the title track on the Down with the King album. Um, 
And that record just put us back on the road, put us back on the chart, put us back on tour. Now we're in the midst of what was going on in the 90s. And you would think that that would make me happy. In the 80s, we was getting 80s money. Now in the 90s, we getting the 90s money, what everybody was getting there. Soon as that record dropped, Rick, something in me said, I don't want to live no more. There, was it instantaneous? Did it happen in a moment or did it build over time? It was in a moment. It happened. I woke up one day when everybody was like, yo, the video's a smash and the records, you're back on the chart and you're going on the road, you're going to open for Naughty by Nature. When we got on the road, when we started touring, we started making that money again, something in me just said, I don't want to live. And it was like this void in me. And I was leaving, I was coming off a stage every this night. This was a new feeling. You never had an experience like I that before. I never had experience out of the like blue. this. Out of, out of the blue. Yes. Out of the blue. And interesting, too, that it was triggered by things going good, not by things going bad. Right. It's interesting. Right. Exactly. Very interesting. Yeah. And I tell people that, yo, my life, everything was good in this yes, was happening. Yes, it's interesting. So I would go back to my hotel room and I would just lay there and it was just the dread of the world that was on me. And that happened probably for like, I don't know. I was going through that. I was going through that for six and seven. It was like six or seven months. And then in six and seven. How, do you remember how old you were at that time? I was 35. Okay. 30, 30, 34, 35. Okay. And um, in the sixth or seventh month of that, I just laid in my bed and I said, okay, what's going on with me? <clears throat> and I went through my life and who I was. Okay. I'm Daryl McDaniels from Hollis, Queens, New York. Byford and Banner's my mother. Alfred's my brother. You remember, son of Byford, brother of Al. Banner's my mother and runs my pal. It's McDaniels, not McDonald's. These rhymes are Daryl's. Those burgers are Ronald's. I ran down my family tree. My mother, my father, my brother, and me. Okay, runs my friend. Jay's my friend. This thing called hip-hop comes over the bridge from the Bronx. We make one record, it was a hit. We made another record, it was a hit. We made an album, boom, boom, my Adidas, everything. Now I'm back on the road with Down With The King. Life is supposed to be good. Why do I feel like this? I had no idea what it was. So I'm going through that routine every day, every day, every day. And that void in me and that feeling got so uncomfortable that now I'm thinking, I don't want to live no more. Now, you would think I would have everything. I'm DMC. Of course. I had a wife and a kid at that time. Down with the king is killing. Yes. But this feeling on me made me say, I can't live like this. This Mm. this is very uncomfortable, which is the worst feeling ever. So now I find myself trying to think of ways to kill myself. We go over to Europe. I remember we go over to Europe one time and we was like in, um, we was in um, Austria somewhere. And we, was, we wasn't in the big city. We was in those little towns outside of Austria. And we had did an interview. And I, when we was up on the roof of the building, I noticed they didn't have no guardrails. Like most hotels have the guardrails or whatnot. So after the, we did the interview, we went back downstairs. And I remember Eric going, be in the lobby, 630 for sound. Check in order, use the routine. And I, remember, and I went in my room and I waited. Okay, run Jay and Eric should be in the room. And I go to my door and I look. Nobody's in the hallway. So I said, let me run upstairs before the hotel security guy comes and locks the door again. 
So I remember running upstairs in this true story, run upstairs and I get up on the ledge and I keep her real with y'all. I'm standing there and then something in me says, yo, if I jump and die today, people know the DMC story, run DMC story. They know there's what behind the music, two books, movies, you could Wikipedia, Google, you could find out what I did with me running Jay, but nobody knows about the little boy, Daryl. So I jump back down and I say, before I kill myself, I want to write this book. So I didn't want to kill myself right there because I wanted to write a book and say, what's up, world? I'm DMC from the groundbreaking rap route, run DMC, first to go gold, first to go platinum, first on the cover of Rolling Stone, Blasey, Blades, and Bluebird. So that was one of my plans. So we go to Europe, then we go to Japan. I go to Japan. I'm thinking of going to the hardware store and buying poison and killing myself. I'm just, it's bad. I come home, I'm thinking of shooting myself. Did you tell anyone at this time what was no, going on? No, nobody. 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 So you were living with all this pain. By myself. Suffering with it yourself. Right. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. So fast forward, we come home from Europe one trip, and I, I'm living in Jersey at this time. So this was the, this, this was the last straw. The travel agent couldn't fly me into Newark, so she flies me into JFK. And I live in Jersey. So I remember coming home that day, and I said to myself, that's it. Life is so fucking fucked up. I'm fuck kid, I'm fucking coming home from JFK. And I'm really thinking it. Like these little things is adding to this feeling. And so, so I'm going to do it now. Fuck, it's over now. This is proof the universe is showing me I got to kill myself. So I come out and I get in the car. I get in the guy, the guy's town, town car that's picking me up. And, um, you know, he's being, he turns around, how you doing, Mr. McDaniels, Rain, New Jersey. And I'm like, yes, cool. So we drive, and as we leave in um, JFK, we stop at the first light. It's like two or three lights coming out of JFK. And I, could, I saw the guy looking at me. I felt the guy looking at me in the rearview mirror. So every time I would turn to look at him in the mirror, he would turn his head. <laughs> so we got to the second light, and I felt him looking again. I look up, he would turn his head. So I got to the third light. I caught him. And when he caught my eyes, he just turned around and said, Mr. DMC, man, please don't tell my boss, man, I might get fired for this, man. But when I was younger, your music got me through the hardest times in my life. This and that, sucker MCs. I used to go in my room and your, your room, your, your music got me through the hardest time in your life. And I'm like, I'm going. I'm like, oh, cool, cool. So he said, please don't tell my boss, man. Can I get a picture with you? And I'm like, yo, that's the, I, I don't need a picture. I'll give you an autograph. What? Really? So now he's open. So we drive and he says, you, do you mind if I turn the radio on? And I'm like, yeah. So he turns the radio to Hot 97. That was the last thing <laughs> that I wanted to hear. And I'm like, yo, man, turn it to any other station except that. And he's like, okay. So he turns the station, turns it to Light FM. I hear these pianos, boom, boom. And then I hear this voice, spend all your time waiting for that second chance. I hear Sarah McLaughlin's Arms of the Angels. Let's listen to that right now. Just All right. Let's listen to it. Yeah. I'm going to put it on. Gives me chills. This is the best record ever. Spend all your time waiting For that second chance For a break that would make it okay There's always 
that's what I heard in that car, man. Beautiful. And something said, yo, D, life may be messed up, but if something this beautiful exists, it's good to be alive every day. So for one whole year, all I did every day I woke up was listen to this song. When I went to the gym, I'm back in the gym. People looking at me, they probably thinking I'm listening to Led Zeppelin or, so, or, or some techno or something. I had that on every day for a whole year. At the end of that year, Eric, who's still with me now, him and uh, Tracy Miller, our publicist, was like, keep Daryl busy. We know he's going to something. So they were just trying to keep me busy. So Eric gets tickets to come out here to L.A. to Clive Davis Grammy party. He comes to me and says, yo, D-Man, we going to L.A. I got two tickets to grab. Fuck Clive Davis. Fuck L.A. Fuck. All I need to do is stay here and listen to the Sarah McLaughlin song. He's like, yo, come on. I said, nope, I don't need to do nothing. And he just looks at me. And this, the only, this is funny. This is the only reason he looks at me and says, yo, D, I worked real hard to get these tickets. Because it's tough. I said, this fool probably done sold his soul to the devil to go to Clive Davis' stupid party. And I said, okay, Eric, I'm going to go with you. So Eric is like, yo, he's doing a manager. Yo, go do the red carpet, this and that. You know, he's thinking business, networking, stuff like that. I said, motherfucker, I only came here because of your ass. Wanted to come to this stupid party. I'm staying one hour. I'm pulling up a chair right here by this door. And in one hour, I'm going back to my room to listen to Sarah McLaughlin. Because it was just something in that record. The, the, the vibe of it made me feel not alone no more. Do you think it's the words or the music or the combination? I think it it was a combination of it, especially in this dark, cold hotel room. I mean, she know because that's what I was doing. I see. So it felt and like she music, felt like she was singing to you. Yep, like she made that. Like that record was made for me. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yes. So. I go to the um, Clive Davis party, and, and Eric is like, yo, come on. And I'm like, countdown now begins, 59, 58, 57. <laughs> so he walks away frustrated. So I'm sitting there, and um, by the front door, Stevie Wonder comes in. His boy see me, and his boy turns Stevie to be like, yo, Stevie, come over here, man. DMC want to meet you. So Stevie comes over to me, and I'm in my head. I'm th just true story, Rick. I'm like this. I'm talking to myself. Stevie fucking wonder. I hope the motherfucker fall and bust his fuck. Wow. So, yeah, really. Wow. Like the fuck. So you were just fuck. in a dark. Like, don't, yeah, don't come over the fuck up, Stevie. I hope you fall. Like I, was, I said that. Wow. So his boy come on smiling. Hey, Stevie, yeah. this and that. You guys are great. Whatever. He walks away. But, and it had nothing to do with him. It just no, was where you're at. It was just, it was just where, where you were at. at. Like yeah. all of this is bullshit. All yeah. the fucking angry. Stevie wonder. Yeah. yeah. He walks away. Next person, Alicia Keys comes in. She sees me. Oh, DMC. Oh, I know Ryan. I know Russell and Kamora. I never see you. How you doing? Fucking Alicia. Hope the fucking piano falls and breaks your finger. Like, I'm just thinking. And I'm laughing now because I can't believe I was thinking like that. It was like, get away from me. Like, yeah. fucking come over here. Like, And she walks away. I look up who's coming in. The lady that made that record. Oh my God. Sarah McLaughlin Sarah in the front. And you and you recognize friends. her. Yes. Oh my God. That's that lady who made that record. Like I knew of her uh, North Wind, but I didn't know her. Oh shoot. So some of me see your D get up and go over there and tell her about what her music did. So I'm walking over to Sarah and she sees me. Run DMC. It's tricky to rock around, rock around. It's right on time. Adidas. And she does the B-boy stance, like, yo, you guys are great, whatever, whatever. 
So in my head, I go, yo, see, Daryl, that's a reason to stay alive. Even Sarah McLachlan likes your music. So I just go, Miss McLachlan, I just want to tell you, um, the name of the record is Angel. You sound like an angel. People say you're an angel, but you're not an angel to me. You're God. Every day of my living day for the last year, all I do is listen to your record. It's the crutch that I stand on. It's the thing that gets me through my day. I just rant and rave to her, so I finish. I'm standing there sweating. So she's looking at me like this. So she ain't know what to say. She was like, damn, I just wanted to say hi to his ass. But she looks at me and says, thank you for telling me that, Daryl. That's what music is supposed to do. Shakes my hand and walks away. So you know me, the fam, never washing this hand again. I'm just feeling good. Like that was the best thing ever and stuff like that. Eric comes over, I'm shining like the, the yes. sun now. What happened to you? Yo, I just met Sarah McLaughlin and this and that. So that made me a day. So I go home and I go, um, yeah, I finally, you know, I want to write this book. I want to write this book. So I said, in the book, I want to do that. I want to say, yo, what's up, world? I'm Daryl McDaniels from Hollis, Queens, New York, from the groundbreaking rap group Run DMC. First to go gold, first to go platinum, first on the cover of Rolling Stone, for all of that stuff. But I'm really just Daryl Matthews McDaniels from Hollis, Queens, New York. I was born May 31st, 1964. And when I got to that part of my identity, I was like, oh, I know my birthday, but I don't know no details about the day I was born. So I called my mother up. And I go, hey, mom, I'm writing this book. I didn't say I'm writing this book just in case I die and kill myself because she would have lost it. I just want to know a couple more details about the day I was born. How much did I weigh? What time I was born? What hospital? So she tells me, thank you, mom. I love you. Hang up the phone. An hour goes by. The phone rings. It's my mother and my father. Hey, son. Hey, dad. What's going on? We have something else to tell you. So I'm a metaphysical, suicidal, religious, <laughs> um, emotional wreck who's about to commit suicide. The only thing keeping me from jumping is this Sarah McLaughlin record. My mother and father hit me with this. Um, we have something else to tell you. Okay, what is it? You was a month old when we brought you home and you're adopted, but we love you. Bye. Click. Wow. It wouldn't stop, Rick. <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. Now, you know when I heard that. I was like, what do you mean? I'm not spy for the banner, son. You're my whole fan. I rhymed about you Christmas time and Alice Queen. But what the hell is going on, universe? That's unbelievable. No, it's yes. unbelievable. And it was really a short conversation? That that quick, we have something else to tell you. Okay, what is it? You was a month old when we brought you home and we love you. Bye. Click. Because it was yeah. When I they, call, you think because they were just they didn't know how to handle uh, it they said we have to tell him my mother hung up the phone and said bye for it. he's writing a book and he's about to tell. my father was like we got to call him back and let him know wow it was a secret they hid from me my whole life yes even though as as traumatic as that revelation was yes all of that trauma and in the, the 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 shock the destroying capacity of that revelation yes something happened where a calm just came over me. Something made me realize the void in me that started making me, what the hell is going on down with the king is a hit. There was a missing piece to my identity. Wow. I'm Daryl McDaniels, Hollis Queens, New York, son of Bifron, my Adidas walk this way, but I'm adopted. Just a quick break, and we'll get right back into DMC's story. Hey there, I'm Ashley Ford, host of the Chronicles of Now podcast. Chronicles of Now commissions amazing authors like Roxane Gay, Colin McCann, Carmen Maria Machado, and Curtis Sittenfeld to write short fiction inspired by the headlines. Each episode features a new work of fiction inspired by the biggest stories of our time, like what does COVID-19 do to our relationships? 
how do we make sense of climate change and extinction? And perhaps most mysteriously, what is going on with Trump's tweets? Because in such uncertain times, sometimes art, fiction, is the only way to make sense of it all. The show is great for fans of short speculative fiction, historical novels, podcasts that go behind the news, and narrative shows like Radiolab and The Moth. The Chronicles of Now is imaginative storytelling at its most compelling. Authors helping us understand our world. Subscribe in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Brought to you by Pushkin Industries. We're back with DMC, who's telling a powerful story about his depression. After years of fighting suicidal thoughts, he received a phone call from his parents informing him that he was adopted. It was a missing piece to my identity. Wow. I'm Darryl McDaniels, Hollis Queens, New York, son of Bifron, my Adidas walked this way, but I'm adopted. Wow. So I came to the revelation, I didn't fight that. Yes. What do you mean? This and that. I said, okay, I know what that means because I'm a good student. Yes. That means I have another mother and a father and there's this whole other part of me. But now that I'm adopted, that's just part of who I am. And then the next thing was, oh, maybe I can help somebody. Beautiful. Maybe I can help somebody. Now I got to, don't kill yourself, D, because you can rhyme and you make records for a reason. So I was like, oh, I'm going to get that lady who made a record that helped me. I'm gonna make, <gasps> I'm gonna make it with her. So I'm like, Eric, get Sarah on the phone. D, what's the hell? He don't know what the hell is going on. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying, just get on the phone. Okay, okay. Um, it took like probably it was a day later. Eric calls me. Yo, D, pick up your phone in five minutes. Sarah's gonna call you. Phone ring. Hi, Daryl. It's Sarah. So now, Rick, you know, I'm like, oh man, I'm sweating now. I'm like, oh man. If she thought it was crazy, you know, and this, this, this was a period of three years after I met her. I forgot to tell you that this was three years later okay. when all this happened. And you've had no contact since no then? No contact with her. Okay. Since so the you Grammy met thing. her at the, yeah. at the party? Yeah. You talked to her for two minutes? Yep. And now and it's three years later. On, yeah. <laughs> but I'm listening to the right. And on top of that, here's the funny part about that. On top of that, it all started with the um, Angel record. But yes. after that. My wife goes out and buys Building a Mystery and all the previous albums. Yes. So now I know all those other songs. Yes. So Sarah's on the phone and I go, hey, Miss McLaughlin, how you doing? She says, how you doing? And I was like, she's funny. I said, remember when I met you three years ago? She says, how could I forget you? You called me God. <laughs> so she was like, she had to go. I was like, yeah, yeah. I said, well, remember when I met you and um, I told you what your music did for me? And she said, yeah. I said, well, I just found out that I'm adopted. And I want to make a song that's going to speak to some people who are, you know, they're orphans and the foster kids and adopted kids like me. And I want to make a song. And um, I want to use Harry Chapin's Cats in the Cradle. Will you do this record with me? Immediately she goes, sure, yes, I'll do it. Because usually it's, let me talk to my label, of let course. me talk to my man. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, really, really? Okay, I'll bring you to New York City. This one, the Hit Factory was still open. Yes. I'll put you in the Hit Factory just and I'll put you in the fourth seat. She says, no, Daryl, you could come to my house and we'll make it there. I have a studio in my house. <gasps> so now I'm a fan. Yes. Set change. We on a plane flying to Vancouver, Canada. 
And I look over to Eric and I said, Eric, if I die tomorrow, don't say that. He stopped saying, no, Eric, you know, <laughs> this is funny. I'm like, no, Eric, really, if I die tomorrow, I don't hear you. Eric's holding his <laughs> head. No, no, no. Eric, I said, motherfucker, stop listening to me. Motherfucker, if I die tomorrow, and you, if anybody asks me, what do you think D's greatest time? You tell the motherfuckers that the greatest thing that ever happened to D was going to Sarah McLaughlin <laughs> house to make a record with her. You got it, motherfucker? Yeah, I got it. Like, it was like that. Wow. So we land in Vancouver. <laughs> It took us two days to make the record. Yes. When we finished recording, I was like, Sarah, thank you for this. She goes, Daryl, before you go, I got to tell you something. She says, I was adopted too, and I did not know that. It's unbelievable. I did not. Everybody with me, Eric, and uh, the people from, um, it was um, um, the publicist with me and some other people that um, Arista Records has sent with me, they all lost it. I did not know she was adopted too. How crazy is that? It's amazing. It's amazing. That's crazy. It's amazing. It's beautiful. And ever it's in the music. Yeah. It's in the music. It's and you felt it in the music. Yep. And ever ever since that day, um, my thing was suicide, anxiety, loneliness, this and that. Yo, we all are you are not alone. Yes. I was in a place where you know, even when I found out I was adopted, I didn't feel right around Run and Jay and Eric and them because they, they didn't understand what was going on to me. And yes. even Run, he even said, because he don't know. Yeah. Run said to me, and he was right. He said, motherfuckers, see how Run is. Motherfuckers suck it up, bite for them bandage your mother and father. And I looked at Run and said, I know that. But also, I have a right to these other emotions because when I found out in, uh, when I was adopted, immediately I started going, I wonder if what my mother had, what it looked like and this and so all of those why, why, why was I giving up this and that boom, yes. bang. But I was able to maintain those through the music. Yes. Knowing that I'm, Byfin and Banner is the bomb. Yes. You know what I'm saying? And they were, and they were your mom and dad your whole life. And great. Exactly. And but great. That example. And, and they chose you. Yeah. That's a whole nother level. That's a whole, they chose, right. Definitely. They chose you. So, Sarah, and it, you know, it's deeply in the music too. That's why I identify with her vibe. I couldn't yes. identify, there was nothing on this earth yes. that made me feel like staying here except her, you know what I'm saying? Except, yeah, and it was public information that she was adopted, but she don't talk about yeah, it. I, I didn't have to no, cry for that. No, It was just Amazing, deep. I'm wondering if, you know, they say, as souls, uh -huh. we choose our parents, and I'm. And wow. it's interesting that your your parents chose you, and right. and that on some level you felt that you f you felt, but you felt that disconnect because we're used to picking like. Right, right. Do you know right. what I'm saying? I had so much love. Like growing up, I had so much love that there was never thought in my mind that I wasn't a McDaniel. Yes. The funny thing, Rick, after all of this was happening, after the whole Sarah thing and all of that, um, confidence had me say, yo, go to therapy, D. Yes. Deal with your feelings. It's okay to have just feelings, even if the world thinks you, and you're not a knucklehead, you're not weird, you're not crazy. You need to go talk to somebody. Yes. So I went to therapy. As a matter of fact, I went to therapy. I've discovered therapy because um, that helped me stop drinking. Because remember, I used to drink a lot of 40s. Yes. 
I used to drink a lot of drinkers. I was drinking a case of 40s a day. Wow. But I stopped. This is funny. Oh, I forgot to tell you this. Before Down With The King came out, in 1991, I was diagnosed with acute pancreatitis. So I was in the hospital for a month and a half. I couldn't take anything orally. I had to take all my nourishment intravenously because wow. it was like, yo, um, your liver and your pancreas is going bananas. So now I'm scared. But here's the miraculous thing. All my tests came back clean. And I was drinking it. Uh, not only that, I was drinking Brass Monkey with the yeah. Beasties, yeah. Um, Bacardi and Coke in that era. Yes. And then in 91, I stopped. My doctor looked at me and said, you have two choices, son. You could um, drink and die or not drink and live. So I, was, I wasn't drinking during Down With The King. Um, in 2000, though, in 2000, I started drinking again. Me and Sarah did the record, this and that, but this is funny. I, I wasn't dealing with the feelings. You know what I'm saying? I resolved in my head, I'm okay. I said to myself, I'm okay, but I really wasn't okay. Yes. Because I didn't sit there and, and you know, let's, let's talk. About how do you feel about being adopted? How do you feel about your mother and father not telling you this and that? I just looked at, I'm good. I love being in that, but I, I kind of had these emotions. And when the emotions started rising up, I started drinking again. Mm. When I stopped drinking in 91, it was Bacardi and Coke and rum and Coke and screwdrivers and old English. Now I'm starting to drink again. Now they got this new thing called Hennessy and Jim Beam, Jack Daniels. So I was drinking that and my wife looked at me. This is what made me go to rehab to stop drinking. My wife looked at me in, in um, 2004. I said, I'm, I'm drinking to celebrate my victory and my newfound missing identity. My wife said, motherfucker, you're drinking because you can't handle the fact that your parents just told you you were adopted. Wow. And that made me go, wow. Stop living a life, D. Stop living a lie, D. Yeah, of course you're happy. Your Sarah record, this and that. Yeah. You're not going to kill yourself no more. But now I subconsciously found a way to kill myself and not have to deal with the. Because that's, that's where I'm already thinking of killing myself. Now my parents revealed to me you're adopted. Yeah. You're going to feel some way about Did it. Did where that the initial, I'll call it depression. The, the first round of when right, it first right. hit you. I didn't know it was that. Yeah, right. but we'll call it that. So now we, we're on the same, we're using the same terms. Right. When the depression hit, had you already stopped drinking that first time? Yeah. Because I'm when one. When I stopped drinking, yes. that's when the depression came. That's what I was just going to say is that maybe. You, know, you must be a therapist because <laughs> you're leading this right into the, what happened. It next. makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense that you're you, right on this. you stopped drinking, but and then you started feeling your feelings. Yes. Rick, <laughs> my wife says that to me. I sit there. I can't deny it. She's right. Eric, Kathy. Yes. From the office. Yes. Kathy and Eric goes to Leo and says, Leo, we got to fucking put D in rehab. So I was, I'm not kidding, you know, I'm, 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 I was a functional drug. Yes. You know what I'm saying? I wasn't messing yeah, yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, you were showing up. I was like, yo, D, man, you fucking killing yourself. Yes. I found a way not to use the gun, not to jump, and not to drink poison. Yes. Do the thing. Yeah. That you, my wife said, she said, Daryl, it's not like you, you should. The doctor already you told you. You can't drink. The doctor already told die. you that it's going to kill you, and you're doing it like it's so, a celebration. Yes. I go into rehab to stop drinking. When I went into rehab to stop drinking is where I discovered therapy. Rick is so crazy. You know what I was diagnosed with? Suppressed emotions. My <laughs> therapist said, you was drinking, yeah. so you didn't have to deal with your feelings. He yes. said all through the, through the time. The first question he asked me was this. When I went into therapy, 
He said, Daryl, during your career with Run DMC, did Run J or anybody ever do anything to make you mad? And I said, no. I sat there and I said, no, Rick. Um, my therapist, um, he, he was, I was 35 when I went to therapy. My therapist was, uh, he had to be, I think it was like 46 or 47. He knew who I was and stuff yes. like that. He came in with the white doctor cloak on and the notepad and everything. Yeah. Daryl, during your career with Run DMC, did anybody ever do anything to make you mad? You know, I'm sitting there thinking, I got to go, oh, no. He put his pad, true story, he put his <laughs> pad down. He stood up, he took off his doctor cloak, he wanted to get real with me, and he looked me in my eye, and he said, you a goddamn motherfucking liar. And when he said that to me, yeah, man, in 85, when they, like, he said, what I would do, uh, and he said, my problem was this. And he said it had a lot to do with um, post-traumatic thing from being adopted. Yes. It, I didn't want to be given away again. Yes. I want to be the guy, don't don't take, I didn't know subconsciously, yeah, I knew my birth mother gave me away. So I want to be, I don't want to be a troublemaker. I don't want to, I, me running Jay Neb, I should have though. Yeah. Me running Jay, I watch running Jay. You see the motherfucker, they, they would argue and this yes. and that. I would sit there, what do you, would you like me to do? I don't want to be a troublemaker. Yes. I was diagnosed with suppressed emotions. Makes sense. Because I was using the old English. Yes. Makes perfect sense. That's why, I, I mean, every Ray drunk old English, he just didn't drink a case. Yeah. Smith drunk three. I drunk 12. Yes. As soon as that, I was going, no, nah, let me, I don't want it to. You don't want to feel. Feelings, you don't yeah. want to feel. I was diagnosed with suppressed emotions. So I went in to stop drinking. When I went into rehab is where I discovered therapy, which was the best thing for me. Yes. Because then now I'm dealing with my truth. How yes. do you feel? Yes. I got a saying now. You might not have even known how you felt before because you so suppressed it. Yes, exactly. He said, yo, D, your truth is how you really feel. And he said, it's okay to feel the way that you feel. And he looked at me, he said, yo, if you don't admit how you feel, whether good or bad, you never heal. Wow. And that journey all led up from hearing that Sarah McLaughlin record in the car. Amazing. Crazy. Amazing right? story. We'll be right back with DMC after the break. We're back with more from DMC. Let's talk about your first memories of hip hop as a kid. Oh, what wow. was the what's the first <clears throat> first experience of anything having to do with rap or hip hop? Um, We've never talked about this before. Nope. It'll be fun to hear. Seventh grade, St. Yes. Pascal Baylon Elementary School. Billy Morris was in the eighth grade. He was he was older than us. Me, David Sinclair, and I forgot who else was in the schoolyard playing basketball on the one rim that the Catholic school had in the schoolyard. And Billy goes, yo, come in. We said, yo, what, why Billy want us? What the hell, Billy? Yo, he probably want us to smoke some reefer or something. Like, I, this is before I even took a pull on the joint or whatever. So Billy does what the bullies usually do. Yo, I said, come here. I ain't going to say it again. So me, I go, yo, it's three of us and one of him. If he try anything, we ain't know what was going to happen. It's three of us want to, he try anything, we got to jump him. So we scared. We come over, Billy's scared because we think we got to fight now, smoke reefer. He says, yo, check this out. He pulls out a flat tape recorder. This is before the boom box even existed. Remember the those little cassette recorder. Remember this, they yeah. was in schools yes, and yes. You, you push the jack and it pops up like yes. that. You start, he had one of those. He said, check this out. He hit play and something said, doom, dak, doom, doom, dak, doom, doom. 
tack, tack, and then a voice said, when you mess around in New York town, you go down with the disco Chiba clown. You go down, go down, go down. You just keep the pep in your step. You don't stop till you get on the mountaintop. And when you reach the top, you reach a peak. That's when you hear Eddie Chiba speak, and it stopped. A minute and 30 seconds. Yo, do that again. He did it again. We stood in the schoolyard for three hours listening to, I didn't know it was, I didn't know what, whatever that was, it was the, I felt it, it was the coolest thing ever. And we stood there for three hours just listening to that over and over. And it was just this little one minute just clip. Just this one little, it had static and everything. Yeah. So I had to. Was hit, it a recording from a live? It was from a, 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 a pirate radio. I see. Um, WFUV. Eddie Chiba had a, on Wednesday night, he had a station. Only some people in Queens could get it, if yeah. you, depending where you was, your house was situated. Yes. So I hit Billy with the question, yo, Billy, man, can I hold your tape? Hell no, Daryl McDaniel. You just can't hold my motherfucking tape, this and that. Yo, Billy, I'll give you my allowance. I'll run home and give the, you, you, I'll steal my father's car keys and give it. He's like, yo, yo, come on, man, no. So he saw, he just saw that I really wanted it. It was a Friday afternoon. Yeah. He said, Daryl, you're a good kid. You can hold my, bring my fucking tape back Monday morning. Yes. So that whole weekend, Friday night, all the way till Saturday, Sunday, I hated, I dreaded to give it back. But the whole weekend, I just sat there listening to that over and over and over. Monday, I gave it back to Billy. And that was it, Rick. That was it. I went back to my comic book, skateboard, bike riding self. Summer comes, school lets out, summer comes. Now, because of the tape, it was always here, but I was, I was, it wasn't my world yet. Yes. Now I'm noticing, oh, that's what they do in the park when the van comes and they put the records out and the, they play the speakers on and they start talking over the music. But it was still pretty new, right? It was it so new. Oh, no, it, it hadn't, re, it, had, it, had, it was very new. It hadn't soaked in. Yeah. Like I heard it and didn't know about it. Yes. I heard it and it went away. Yes. So that's when I started, no, oh, that's, it was just this, right? I'm riding my bike to the park. So at that time, there were probably no, there wasn't even. Um, Nobody was, knew what was going on in the Bronx. It was just happening live at parties. At Block Park, right. So that summer. Even noticed, before the Sugar Hill Gang. Right. We had way before the Sugar Hill Gang. Okay. This this probably was, what, just 70, this 70, what, I remember the Bicentennial came when the Bicentennial Quarters came out. This seven, what, it was 78. Wow. It was 78, because I graduated I graduated eighth grade in 79. This yes. was 78. So my brother comes to me, says, yo, Daryl, we got to get some turntables and a mix. And I'm like, yeah, okay, okay. You know, I'm the little brother, whatever, whatever. So we had a problem, Rick. We didn't sell weed. The guys said, so we had money. They was getting the good stuff. All we had was my mother and father's receiver with their amp, their bullshit turntable, and two bullshit wind speakers. My brother Alpha, we had a whole big, big comic book collection. <laughs> he said, yo, we're gonna do a comic book sale so we could get enough money to get one Gemini up and down mixer yes. and one more BSR wood turntable. Yes. So we did that. So the next thing that happened, this is when it began for me. Um, a friend of mine had a, a box, a, the cassette thing with this guy named Grandmaster Flash. And Grandmaster Flash was doing the real good times, which rappers delight like sample, but he made it do this. It came on, um, you know, good weeds are the good time. And the guy was on the mic, ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen, the grand, grand master, master flat. And I was, th those vocals were more dynamic than hip hop. I was like, what the fuck with the echo? What the hell is this? Ladies and gentlemen, the grand master flash, that shit said ding, ling, 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 ling. 
Good times. Boom, boom. Boom, 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 boom. Good times. Boom, boom. Why the fuck is it? Boom, 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 boom. Good time. Then I said, good time. Good. Then I said, good, 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 good. I'm like, what the fuck? How did you Because you got magic, Rick. There's no video. How, I'm listening. What the fuck? How did he make good times do that shit? So now I go down in the basement and I'm taking Anf my brother's records and Anthony's things and I'm trying to do the thing I heard on the tape. Took me a while to get it, but then I was able to do the quick mix of good times. Great. I was my own DJ, my DJ name in my basement. I was pretending I was Grandmaster Get High because you don't need old English or weed because my music will intoxicate you. So it was Grandmaster Get High and MC Easy D. I was both of them. And you were 15 at the time. 15 years old and it was all make believe pretend. Yes. And it was just for yourself. It, just, it wasn't, just, you didn't no, perform. No, I didn't want to make records and stuff like that. It was just for me. Beautiful. It was just the same way girls play with Barbie and dudes play with G.I. Joe. I was pretending to be whatever that thing that these guys do that, not me. Yes. It was pretend. Yes. But it was the best feeling ever. That's amazing. After that, what happened was remember, I went to St. Pascal Bayline Elementary School. So now my routine was to come home, you know, do my homework first, whatever, watch Adam's family of Flintstones or whatever. And then um, after I took my shower, whatever, mom, I'm going down in the basement. That was my whole routine. Run, Joseph Simmons, was always in the other class. And we would get out of school 2.10. So we'd be at my house by 2.20. And my parents would get home at 4 p.m. He sees me at my brother's turntables. And he looks and he goes, yo, do you do that? And I go, no, because it's my I go, nah, that's my brother's turntable. So then Joe goes, yo, my brother's Russell Russ. You ever see those flyers that's up on the telephone poles? I'm like, yeah. So now I'm playing like I don't care. I got an entrance. Whoa. He, your brother does this rap thing? He says, yeah, my brother's Russell Russ. He throws parties and um, he promotes Curtis Blow. And like he starts dropping names and stuff like that. I know Bambada and um, 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 DJ Hollywood. So I'm, you know, acting like I don't care and stuff like that. So I go, I dabble a little bit. And Joe goes, yeah, let me see what you could do. So I go over to turntables. I'm showing off now. Lean, 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 lean. Good times. Boom, boom. Good times. Oh, Joe's like, oh, shit. Well, Joe knew how to DJ, but he ain't know how to backspin. So I said, he said, yo, you got to teach me how to do that, man. So when I when I go out with Curtis Blow, when my brother brings me out to Curtis Blow, I'm going to do that shit for Curtis Blow. So the routine was now we're going to come to my house from 2.20 to like, uh, to, from 2.20 to 3 o'clock, we're going to play basketball. But from three o'clock to 3.35, we're gonna go in the basement, we're gonna DJ and stuff like that. So we started doing that. When we started doing that, that's when Joe's now, he's coming over, he's bringing cassette tapes. Yo, this is me with Curtis Blow at Bear Martin. And you hear Kurt go, I, my disco son, DJ Run. And then you hear Joe come on, bust his little rhyme and stuff like that. So now I'm intrigued, but the whole time, Rick, he does that. Yes. Joe, wow, you really do it. Like, yeah. far from my mind. So the next time we in the basement, we in a basement, I'll never forget. Joe was on the turn, no, I was on the turntables and I would always make peanut butter and jelly and potato chips for whoever was visiting my house. So Joe was sitting there and he picks up my, my black and white notebooks. And he goes, Joe, Daryl, you wrote these? And I was like, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's a hobby. He was like, yo, this is really good. And he looks at me, Rick, and I'll never forget the day. He goes, and it, it seemed like the whole world slow, slows down. When my brother Russell lets me make my record, I'm putting you in my group. 
So I look at him like this, one ear out the other. Yeah. What the fuck did you, like foreign language, what the hell? Yeah. Didn't think, no, no, what the fuck, no. Like, and I was like, I don't do this, that's cram flash, you, y'all like do this. I graduate um, 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 June of 82. In August of 82, you know, me and Joe, we was hanging out. I've seen him hanging with Bud and stuff. August 82, I'll never forget the phone rings. It's Joe. And he goes, yo, D, remember when I said when I make a record, when my brother lets me make a record, I'm putting you in my group. And I'm like, yeah, grab your rhyme books. We're going to make studio. We're going to make a record. I'm going to do this record call. It's like that. I just want you to write a bunch of rhymes about how the world is. It's like, oh, I'm still not there. Okay, that's easy. So I write it. That next, the next week, it was Sunday, 2 p.m. Joe and Larry Smith pulls up to my house and takes me to Green Street Recording Studio. So how many years after the first conversation? Four years. Four years later. Four years later. It's unbelievable. Four years later. And I guess I needed that four years to prep. I had no idea this was coming over. Yes, yes, yes. Just me loving when yes. Joe finally called. I was, I remember I heard Eddie Chiba was writing one way. Then I heard Rappers Delight and Super Rap was writing one way. Then I heard the Chris every, at every level. Nope, change that, change that. When I heard the cold crash, this is the one that sucks. That's when the call came. So Joe, when we, we, we had the demo then, now we're going to go to the studio to make it. Joe had to convince Russell to let me rhyme with him. Russell was like, yo, D smart, this and that, whatever, whatever, but he's not you. Yes. And see, Joe had seen me in the basement. Russell yes. never, so yes, Joe yes. saw what the world didn't see. Yes. So Joe was like, yo, Joe, you, you, you got it. So Russ was like, okay, Daryl can record it's like that with you. So we make it like that. And then Joe goes in and records Circumcise, which was his record. Yes. That's why it's three times on the record. Yeah. So we did it like that. Russell was, um, not impressed, but and yo D, I like your voice. Like, you know, he was like, yo, D, I like your voice. You wrote some good rhymes. Like, you know, yeah. but he still wasn't sold. He was yeah. like, he was okay, I'll give it to you. I'll, I'll give it to you. The record was good, this and that. So Joe go in and drop Circumcise. Joe comes out the booth. Now it was supposed to be it's like that Circumcise was all here. Joe goes, Yo, D, go in there and put a verse on it. No, nope, you ain't gonna get Russell mad at me. Hell, the motherfucker don't even want me here. You think I'm ruining my I ain't I'm not trying to fuck up and already. It's two in the morning. I didn't even tell my parents I'm doing this. Wow. I'm thinking I'm going to the basement. I just yeah. leave the house at 2 p.m. and it's two in the morning. So in my whole mind, I know I'm getting in trouble and my parents gonna be waiting at the motherfucker. Where was you at? So Joe said, yo, I want Russell to see that you do this shit. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know nothing about street kids. I'm fucking Catholic. Like, you know, I didn't know nothing about that shit that he was right. He just said, go in there and say your newest rhyme. So it's the summer of 82. I was in class of 82. When I got the letter from St. John's University and I got accepted, before I even told my mother, I just went down in the basement and wrote this little rhyme. I'm DMC and the place to be going to St. John's University. I had that rhyme. Yeah. I didn't write it for the record. I just yes. had. So just, just go in and say your new rhyme. So I'm going, okay, I'm going to say this new rhyme that I wrote. So he said, I'm going to set it up for you, DMC. And if you're ready, the people rocking steady. I'm driving big cars, get your gas, I'm getting it. I'm DMC and the place to be. I go to St. John's University. And since kindergarten, I'm quiet. I said the whole little rhyme and yeah. stuff like that. Came out the booth. Larry, everybody was like, yo. like I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Yo, Russell comes. Yo, Russell, you got to hear this. Russell stands there. Yo, D, that 
for the rest of the session. <laughs> that's manager shit now. For the rest of the session in Green Street, at first Russell was avoiding me. Yes. For the rest of the session, I'm just sitting there saying, um, Larry, what time I'm going? Dude, you're not going to make it home till five in the morning. Damn, I'm fucking in trouble now. But for the rest of the session, you know, we're in Green Street in New yeah. York at this time. People yeah. coming in through all times of night. Yes. Everybody who came to the door, Russell would say, D, sit around. <laughs> he didn't even care about Joe. He said, say the round. Yo, listen to this. He's talking about St. John's University. And that how it all came together. Amazing. When did when did Jay become part of the group? Jay became part of the group after Russell got assigned to profile. Yes. Um, Russell goes, Yo, you're gonna need a DJ if you do shows. And Joe goes, Oh shit, we didn't think about that part. This is great history. <laughs> Joe picked Smith first because Smith, Jay was down with two fifth down. But Jay picked, I mean, Joe picked Smith first. Smith just said, yo, me and D, me and Daryl McDaniels got this record. You want to be our DJ? So Smith says, yeah, I'll do that. When it was time for us to really start, yo, we got a show coming up. Smith said, nah, man, I can't be your DJ. True story, Ricky. He goes, nah, man, I can't be your DJ, man. I got a job at the post office. Yeah. So now we ain't got no DJ. So he picked Jay in and Jay became our DJ because we was doing a show in, um, we was, our first show was in, um, in North Carolina at a high school. So Smith quit because he didn't see. Yeah. It wasn't real. I'm not yeah. Park Jam. I got a job, man. Of course. I got a job at of the course. post office. Of course. So, Chuck D didn't want to make records because he worked in a record store. Yeah, he was like, I yeah, have a job. job. I can't do this. Yes. What do you mean? Yep. So but that, people don't understand how small of a world hip hop was at that time. And it wouldn't be realistic if you did have a job. You're not stopping. You're it not to stopping it to do this because right. nobody's do going anywhere, anywhere doing that at all. No, but at you did all. it because you loved it. Yeah, you know, so, I mean, the, the whole thing was, look, we were just happy to get out. I mean, Joe had a little bit more vision because he was it was in his living room. Yes. he knew there was money. Like Joe knew, man, I could get some new Adidas and and, and British Walkers and Pumas off of this. Wow. For me, my thing was. Wow, if I get played on Magic, I made it. It's incredible, yeah. Like if Magic played my I, I, Yeah, I made it. And that was it. We didn't know, you know, that it was gonna go that far. And I just bring up Smith, because Smith was like, nah, man. And I'll explain, Mr. Magic was a, a DJ who had a show on WHBI yep. first. It was one hour a week. One hour a week. And that was the only place you could hear any hip hop music at, at all. all. At all. That was and it. If you got your record on there, you arrived. That was it. That was and it. we would record that, that every week and listen to it yep, all week long. Pause and record so soon as it came on. Yeah. And that's all it was. But in the early shows, we played a lot in our neighborhood. We played all the roller skating rinks. Um, um, were you already dressed as Run DMC? No. How how were you? What was oh, the original my, presentation? Oh my god, man! I I fuck. I look like a uh, um. I look like a kid, and I look like a freshman in college who was taking um um biology. I had on a gray silk shirt, some gabardine gray pants, Pumas. I had on blue and white Pumas, and Joe always thought it was cool. I had this long um 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 London fog blue trench coat yes so that was the coolest thing in my wardrobe joe had the leather the burgundy leather blazers which was popular back then um he had on his lees yes and he had on on, on white on white adidas but your man jay 
Your man Jay had the fucking Godfather hat on. He had the fucking Shams the Baron. He had the fucking little gold chain. He had the fucking Lees on. He had the Adidas on. He had the Quarterfield. He had the Goose Bubble. He had the name plate. He had the Gazelles. He had the Durag hanging off. He was the coolest. He was the coolest. Always was the coolest. He was the coolest. He was he always the, the flavor. coolest. Yeah. Yeah. I so, miss him. I miss him all the time. All the time. I think about him all the time. You have to. Yeah. You have to. Most beautiful just, smile. Yes. Most beautiful smile. Just good person. Just good, beautiful. Outside of being Jay. Of Jay course. Master, you're talking about Jay Beautiful saying. human being. Yep. He brought life, flavor, and everything to us. Absolutely. So me and Run was uncoordinated as hell. I, mean, I was wearing Pumas back then. Yeah. And then we started playing New York. Um, we started playing um 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 Danceteria. That was the hangout spot. Mm -hmm. The World. Mm -hmm. And then we started moving into um the Roxy and stuff like that. But our first show at the Fever, Jay missed it. So DJ Starchild from the Fever DJ for us. Our second show at the Fever, Jay wasn't going to miss it. So when we pulled up on two third to get Jay, Jay comes. Check this out, Rick. Jay comes on the steps um for that show. I had on Pumas. Um, it's that famous picture with me and Joe got the checker jacket on. Yeah. At the fever. Yes. Joe, Jay, Jay missed that show. Yes. The second show, we got that same shit on. Yeah. And we pull up to Jay House in 2 3rd. Jay comes out on his stoop. He got the big four speaker box. He got the Godfather hat on. He got the black Adidas jacket with the white stripes coming down. He got the black leaves on and he got on brand new black and white shell toe Adidas with the, the tongue sticking up like tombstones and he got the laces around his neck. As soon as he stepped on the steps, before it even could come out of Larry's mouth, that, me and Russell, yo, that's our outfit. How Jay dressed. In real life. <laughs> no, in ninth grade, Tim, that Jay was going to school like that. <laughs> that's our outfit. So that, the second show is the fever is the day that Run DMC look came together wow. because of Jam Master Jay. Wow, incredible. That's crazy. Beautiful. So Jay dressed us. Jay dressed us, and Jay um, Jay was the 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 the, the Jay was the vibe flavor. Yes, of and he everything definitely that had the fashion sense. Oh, for sure, always. <clears throat> for oh, sure. he was always the coolest guy. That record, also Jam Master Jay's, one of my favorite of the early really? records. I love that record. Kick off your shoes, jump on the jog, Incredible. and listen to the Jam Master as it start to run. Because it's hip hop. Yeah, it's, hip -hop. it's real. And it's one it's of the it's one of the first real ones. It's like that and Sucker MCs are probably the first real hip hop, hip -hop records. on record. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's because uh, yeah, Larry was trying to do Sharon's Rocket in the Pocket. If we would have oh. did it over that, it would have been then dope. it would have been really hip hop. If we would have did it live the way we did Here We Go, yeah. we use actual Big B. Yes, and that's why we did Here We Here We Go because people started saying, "Oh, Run DMC selling out their commercial now because they're making records." People don't understand that there's a uh, there's this group of records that's the music that all of hip hop is based on, most of which are not R&B records. They could be rock records. They right. could be world music records. Yeah. But those original, those those breakbeat records, yeah, those a lot of rock records. A lot of rock, Demeters. James Brown. James Brown. ACDC. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, when the levee breaks, yes. the sound of yeah, yes. it was a so different... it wasn't about and it, so it wasn't about the style. It was just about the groove. Yep. So it transcended any genre, for sure. Because in that genre of hip hop, you know, we 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 doing, 
you know, we're doing, it was like radio hip hop was different. Yes. It was different. It was different. It was way different. So that was what the whole idea of my, I don't, I don't know that I knew it at the time, but my concept for Def Jam was we got to make music that's like what it really, what if you went to the club and you experienced hip hop. Yeah, nobody was doing no, that. But was the, records, the records didn't sound like that. Yes, I'll, I'll tell everybody, we did we did what was done in the parks. It was more did. like documentary, what we were doing, what oh, both of us were doing sure. was like, it was like documenting. There's already, we didn't invent it. No, we didn't. It was there. It was just, just nobody was actually making it. Attempting to uh, uh, want no. to do it, to desire to do it. No. So when 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 people started saying that with me, I had to go back. That was my basis of doing the one, two, three in, <laughs> in the, the place, place to be. be. As it is plain, what you said, so as it is plain to see, he is DJ Jam Master Roof for Van. That's hip hop. Yes. Inside the place with all the bass, he leaves with fire, and we are. I gotta tell him to crush grooving the record, and it goes a little something like this. We didn't drop no funk. It goes a one, two. Three and roll. That's hip hop. Nobody was doing it. Over. No. And, and, and now you can't put it past Flash and them. Even for the the beauty, the beauty about that is Flash and them. The way they dress, they understand. The I don't think the reason why they did it because they had no rappers to look up to because they were the first. My first favorite rap group was the Treacherous Three, wow, based incredible. on based on those Enjoy records, which I loved. And then they signed to Sugar Hill, and then they made their first album, and it wasn't hip hop. And I was heartbroken. And then I—that was my first trying to get involved because again, I didn't know anything. I didn't know anybody. I didn't know how the record business worked. But I called. You wanted to do that. I I wanted to fix a problem <laughs> as a fan. It's like, wait a minute, my favorite group just what the went hell? left. Right. What did they do? It's like. And I know they know it because they made the good. They, I've heard them make. They the, had to know it. I yes. always said that every time I see Modi, they got this riv, this routine over big beat where it goes boof, boom, bam, boom, boom, bam. And Modi goes, "Can you find an MC better than me, Modi? Can you find an MC better than me? No. Can you find an MC who can say he's better than Special K? No. Can you find an MC who can rhyme up against LA Sunshine? No. You can't. You can't. And these are sort. You got to come with the best. And I was like, Mo, why didn't y'all never do that on yeah. records? We're so excited. Oh my goodness. So that's that's I the reason. It. So I reached out to him and I said, let's make records together because. And again, I didn't know anything about the business part of it or what a producer does or anything. But it's like you knew. I just knew it was wrong. I knew street. it was wrong, and I was a fan and I loved him and I said let's make records that sound like what you really sound like. Why did they like. do it? Well because they said well we're signing Sugar Hill I can't do that. Yeah. I didn't know anything about this. Hip hop would have changed right then and there. But that's the way it did change was he said but Special K is a brother T. LaRock. <laughs> He's like you can make a record with him and, and, and it was do just it. That and, it, and that's how it happened. And, and then and I met, came, K, met Special K. Commentating yeah. uh, old yeah. level level. Yeah, but that would have been a Treacherous Three record had oh it. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that that was the original thought. You know, it was just like because it was the real hip hop. What they was doing, and when you walk in the club, you want to hear that. It was an experience. It was so exciting. Great it time in music for real. Yeah. Cool man. Thank you so much for talking. Thank you to for me. having me here. Amazing. Man. 
Thanks again to Daryl DMC McDaniels for sharing his remarkable story with us. Since the release of his autobiography in 2001, DMC received the Congressional Angels and Adoption Award for his work helping foster children. To hear a song with Sarah McLaughlin and more from Run DMC, visit brokenrecordpodcast.com. And while you're there, sign up for a behind-the-scenes newsletter. Broken Record is produced with help from Jason Gambrell, Mia Lobel, and Leah Rose for Pushkin Industries. Our theme music is by Kenny Beats. I'm Justin Richmond. Thanks for listening. Broken Record.